Gateway was one of the wackiest races of the season by far. Let's talk about it. Sunday was weird, to say the least. We had a few red flags, whether it was for Lightning or Rex. Technology went out at Worldwide Technology Raceway. The only thing that remained consistent during this race was the dominant performance by Kyle Busch, capturing his third one of the season. He becomes the winningest driver of 2023, tied with William Byron. There were a few stats in the broadcast I thought were worth mentioning because I, I like looking at numbers. I think it's really neat. I also like fun facts. So here we go. So Kyle Busch, this is his 63rd career Cup Series victory. This also makes 11 seasons in the Cup Series where he's been able to win three races or more in one season. This is the 25th different track in the Cup Series that Kyle Busch has been able to win at and the ninth time he's won a race from the pole position. This is the 116th win for RCR and Randall Burnett, his crew chief. This was his home track, so a great win for that eight team. When looking at the results of this race, somebody pointed out to me on Facebook a really neat statistic. That is, there are seven different teams represented in the top 10 from Gateway, from Hendrick to Trackhouse to Front Row Motorsports. Very impressive top 10, and it speaks to this Gen 7 car, the job that it is meant to do, which is to create parity and level the playing field. In any other top-level motorsports that we see in the world, you don't have this type of parity, so appreciate it. We're getting something that we don't see in any other motorsports, which is this type of parity and this type of competitiveness from that many teams in the field. So impressive stat from Sunday's race. Following Kyle Busch, we have Denny Hamlin, then Joey Logano in third, Kyle Larson in fourth. All weekend long, he said he was awful. They practiced horribly. They qualified horribly. The start of the race, he was going backwards. It was not a good look for the five team. They were not having a good time, just straight up. But obviously, we know Kyle Larson. He's able to fight back from really anything, had a great top 10 finish. And the season has been anything but perfect for that five team. They have two wins, yes, one of those being all-star, I guess, adding on an all-star win to this, but they've had almost as many DNFs as they have been able to finish a race, which for Kyle Larson and how perfect that team is and the championship caliber of that team sucks. A lot of those instances have not been at his fault. Uh, it's been getting involved in other people's messes, but still, uh, regardless, a great result for Kyle Larson this weekend, despite the issues that they ran into during practice qualifying and the start of the race. Resilience. I think that's the word I can use to describe the five team right now. Fifth place, Martin Tricks Jr. And sixth place, we have Ryan Blaney. To me, he had a potential to win this race. Probably the second best car next to Kyle Busch. Maybe throwing Denny Hamlin in the mix there as well with one of the best cars of the day. Unfortunately for Ryan Blaney, I think where he lost this was on the restarts. He just wasn't able to get a launch when he was out of the front row. So disappointing for Ryan Blaney where I think it was a day where we all thought he could go with Back-to-back -back wins, winning the 600, perhaps winning at Gateway as well. It just did not happen. Seventh, Daniel Suarez. Eighth, William Byron. Ninth, Michael McDowell. And 10th, Kevin Harvick. There are a few key finishing positions I wanted to note for you all. So starting off with Eric Jones in the 18th position. This isn't necessarily about Eric Jones, but this is about his tire changer, Thomas Hatcher, who was injured during Sunday's race. It's not really clear what ended up happening to him. The broadcast originally said that Austin Dillon hit him head on, but Austin Dillon's crew quickly refuted that, saying they didn't make contact with him at all. All we do know about this is that he collapsed. 
he was unconscious. And then it was later reported that he was awake and alert with the safety team and was being transported to a local hospital. That's all we know at this time, the time that I'm recording this. But if we have any updates, we will update you at tobychristie.com. But that's an instance and just a reminder, I think, to all of us, the dangerous job that these pit crews have. It's not an easy job. It's not a safe job. Um, I couldn't do it. They're brave folks that go out there in front of these cars to make sure that these cars can win races, make sure that they get the care that they need. So um, first off, a thank you to the pit crew members for being those folks week in, week out, being brave enough to do this job and also the strength that you need to do this job. Um, but also thoughts are with Thomas as he recovers. Again, if we have any more information on this, we will let you know at tobychristie.com. In 30th, we had Bubba Wallace. In 32nd, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Drivers that did not finish this race for one reason or another. For Stenhouse, it was getting involved in a wreck, which we'll talk about in a minute. But for Bubba Wallace, this ends his top five streak, which sucks. If you count North Wilkesboro, that was four straight top fives in a row for that 23 team. Unfortunately, an issue that plagued four teams in total during Sunday's race was brake rotor issues. Brake rotors just exploded for drivers like Carson Hosevar, which we'll also talk about in a second. Noah Gregson. Uh, it, it was it was a messy situation. And when asked why this was happening, Randall Burnett, Kyle Busch's crew chief, gave us a little bit of an answer. He said, this track is unique. You have really long straightaways. And during those straightaways, you're not really on your brakes or you're not on your brakes at all. It gives those brakes time to cool off. When you go to enter the corner or enter a turn, you're slamming on those brakes. It heats them up really fast. You're going from having a long period of time of cooling on these brakes to heating them up, and then you cool them off again. And that wear and tear on the brakes can cause them to crack or break. So kind of explaining why we might've seen that there. It could have also been, according to him, maybe a parts issue or just the, the brake rotors that the teams decided to use. Um, but mostly the track and also a lack of data from this track with the Gen 7 car. Remember the first time we went here with the Gen 7 car or the Cup Series has gone here was last year. And then we had the issues with track Wi-Fi and everything going down at the track, um, which means that they didn't have data to really look at. They were going old school with pen and paper. Um, they didn't have SMT data from what I've heard at the track um, and from what I was hearing online. So it all kind of compiled to make an interesting race, but that's the issue with the brake rotors. Uh, let's, let's talk about the Stenhouse wreck right now. Austin Dillon didn't finish this race in the 31st position. He went three wide Stenhouse, Austin Dillon, and Austin Sendrick. This is the tale of the two Austins right now. And there's a whole controversy around this. So let's talk about it. So Austin Dillon thinks because of how everything kind of looked out that he was intentionally right rear hooked by Austin Sendrick. They believe Austin Sendrick deserves a penalty. RC Richard Childress believes the same exact thing. Here's why I don't believe this was intentional. And I can, I'm just saying this based off of looks. Obviously, I don't know, again, if they have SMT data to be able to look at this from a data perspective or what NASCAR is doing exactly. They said that they will review the incident, but I would be shocked if there was a call for intent here and a suspension for Cindric. Let's take a look at the wreck between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott the week before, and then this wreck at Gateway, and you kind of just see what I'm talking about here. So for Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott, it was clear that there were issues leading up to this wreck. Hamlin and Elliott make initial contact. Then after that initial contact, there is a clear and drastic move by Elliott to get into the right rear quarter panel 
of Denny Hamlin. And based on SMT data and radio communications, it's very clear it's intentful. In my opinion, there's no other way to explain that drastic shift. When we go to look at the Austin Cindric issue with Austin Dillon, there isn't a dramatic turn of the wheel. It, it clearly looks like three guys to me going for the same exact spot and something had to give. And what had to give at that point and where they were on the track was when Austin Cindric's front bumper kind of nudged the quarter panel of Austin Dillon and sent him spinning. It's going to bring up a whole discussion here of, okay, well, is any right rear turn, is, is that considered suspension? Is that grounds for suspension? But this, to me, was a turn in a racing incident. It was not out of malice, and it was not a hook necessarily. That's where I separate the two. And for me, I didn't see anything on the track that specified something brewing between these two drivers or frustrations boiling over and Austin Cindric having a reason to do this. So I'm going to be interested to see how NASCAR rules this over, but I, I do not think this will be suspension for Austin Cindric. Speaking of suspended drivers, Chase Elliott was out at Gateway due to suspension because of that right rear hook on Denny Hamlin at the 600. So filling in for him was Corey LaJoy and filling in for Corey LaJoy in the seven Spire car was Carson Hosevar, who had his Cup Series debut this weekend. Something interesting I found is that Carson Hosevar actually outperformed Corey while he was still in the race. I say when he was still in the race, as I mentioned earlier, because he had a brake rotor fail on him, which was very unfortunate. I mentioned some of the other drivers involved in that. Noah Gregson had a very Heavy hit with that brake rotor failure. I'm glad he seems to be okay. But Carson Josevar did decently well, actually, I mean, better than decently well in his Cup Series debut in that Spire equipment. Corey LaJoy struggled for the first half of the race and actually pretty much for a majority of the race, ended up getting a 21st place finish, which is not that bad. Um, Corey LaJoy was a little disappointed in how he performed on Sunday, but was grateful for the opportunity, he said, post-race. So uh, kind of getting to see what he could have done in top-tier equipment, but I also know circumstances Sunday with everything that happened were a little out there. So that's all you can ask for for Corey LaJoy is just finishing the race in the nine car, but that is your results. Let's go into a points discussion with a new story that we got to talk about because it involves the points. So let's dive into it. NASCAR handed out one of the biggest penalties in their history this past week to Chase Briscoe in the number 14 team. They were issued an L3 level penalty. This is the highest penalty NASCAR can give out. The penalty was handed out because of a counterfeit Gen 7 part, which is a major no-no. If you remember, I talked about earlier, the whole point of this Gen 7 car is to keep things similar throughout the pack. Uh, nobody's making their own parts. It is the same thing. And when a team decides to ditch that idea, it impacts the integrity of the series. So the highest penalty going out to SHR makes sense for something like this. The counterfeit part that we are talking about here was the underwing or a modified duct. And what these parts do is it helps the handling in the pack. And what's ironic about this is that Chase Briscoe did not race well during the 600. So whatever was modified with those parts didn't help him at all with handling through racing in the pack. So very, very interesting there. And uh, the penalty is steep, as I said. So here's the specifics with that. Briscoe was assessed with a 120 loss in drivers and owners points, also a loss of 25 playoff points. The crew chief of this, Johnny Klausmeyer, was issued a $250,000 fine and a six-race suspension. 
Listen, it was just a matter of time before a team was caught counterfeiting parts. Let's be real. And that's why this penalty was in place. It's to maintain the integrity of the series and the series with this Gen 7 car. It just so happens Dewar Haas Racing was the first to get caught. And what's really unfortunate about this is Chase Briscoe had a chance to make it into the playoffs on points before Gateway, before this penalty was announced. He was a minus four under the cutoff line. He was the first one under 17th in the playoff position. After that penalty was announced, he dropped to 31st in points. The only chance of him making it into the playoffs, as is with anybody really, is you win and you get in. However, even if he makes it into the playoffs, he's going to have to win a race in each round of the playoffs to proceed forward. So if he doesn't want to race in the round one, he's screwed. He literally has no chance possible, which I guess is good for your competitors if Chase Briscoe makes it in because that's a sure thing that one guy will not make it to the next round. That's a better chance for you. But still, like, that sucks. I, I really hate it for Chase Briscoe because, like I said, he had a shot to make it in on points even if he didn't get a win this season. But now he has to get a win to make it farther into the playoffs. But that is your update major points-wise before Gateway. Now let's get into the points after Gateway. The notable movers here is Kyle Busch moves ahead of Larson in the playoff standings. They swap spots. Blaney also jumps from 7th to 4th on the playoff grid. And Daniel Suarez and Alex Bowman swap places around the cutoff line. Suarez is now above plus six, having a pretty good day. Bowen minus six. So what did we think of this race? Well, it was a 300-mile race that ended up being over three hours long, which to me, on par, kind of not on par. What was supposed to be a sprint turned into a marathon with this race at Gateway, which there was a lot of things that were out of NASCAR's control, out of the team's control with the internet and everything going down at the track, which created a logistical nightmare for the broadcast, for the teams. Um, we had the weather, like I already mentioned all of this to you, but it did truly break up the action that we saw in the race, which in turn affected the product that we saw. The thing that I liked about this race though, was the restarts. I say this for every track because it's the most action-packed part of the race is we had drivers that were side by side for maybe three or four laps, maybe five laps, trying to figure out who was going to get first position. And with that, and the most exciting part of that is you could have started on the outside or on the inside and there was no clear advantage all the time. It was truly who had the best car on the restarts, not which one was the best racing line, which I love to see. It made things really interesting and unpredictable. The racing in the mid pack was also decent. There was a lot of people trying to go three wide. It did not work in most cases. Sometimes it did. And it made for like really just moments where I was just cringing in my seat or I was like, oh, that's not going to work. It made for tense moments during the race, which was also exciting to watch as a fan. But overall, though, this race was all right. Not every race can be a home run. And I'm contemplating the rating I'm giving or I'm about to give, I guess, because I feel like it's a little too low, but I want to know what you think. I'm going to give this race a 55%. That's still above the yellow line, but just, again, wasn't a home run of a race, but that's fine. They can't all be. And I know the circumstances that happened on Sunday, a lot of them were out of NASCAR's control, but 55%, what do you think? Let me know. That does it for this episode of Above the Yellow Line. What did you think about everything we talked about from the incidents between the two Austins? Um, we have the conversation revolving around the Briscoe penalty, what you thought of the race. I talked about a whole bunch of stuff during this episode, so let me know your thoughts in the comments below. This Thursday, we are doing a live stream. I'm finally finishing this Lego set that I have right behind me, the NASCAR 75 Lego Technic build. So 
Tune in to Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time to chat about NASCAR, chat about life, whatever we want to talk about. Let's talk about it while building some NASCAR Legos. Make sure to follow me on my social media accounts for updates when we post. I should also have a vlog coming out this week from the 600. So stay tuned from that and follow tobychristie.com for up-to-date NASCAR news and more. Also, make sure to check out the link in my bio for more ways to support myself and the channel and all other platforms that we have here at Above the Yellow Line. But thank you all so much for your support. And until next time, I'll see ya. Want to watch more great motorsports content? Make sure to watch the videos on the screen and click the link in the middle.